Secrets are relational saboteurs, and secrets breed suspicion. There is no reason that somebody wouldn't want to share of themselves with you. Welcome to the Influencers Podcast. I'm Scott Young, co-host along with Dave Donaldson, who is today out on assignment. But we have a fascinating conversation just waiting, and you should stay tuned. Let me just ask, are you good at reading people? Do you ever get a gut feeling when you're talking to somebody that something's just not right? You ever push those warning signs aside and end up with a disaster? You've been betrayed by somebody that you trust, co-worker, a loved one. How do we come to make wise choices? Choose the right pathway. Find the right person. How do we find wisdom? Well, today's guest, Wendy Patrick, has worked for decades figuring people and situations out. She brings a huge variety of learning and practical experience to this question. She's an attorney, a prosecutor. But then she brings other disciplines. She brings uh, philosophy and psychology and theology. She holds degrees in psychology, a master's in divinity, and a doctorate in theology. And a lot of people search out her voice for wisdom. If you go on to her website, which will be listed in the show notes, you'll just find a long list of people that she talks to. And she said she spends a lot of her day talking to people. You'll find Fox News, Fox Business, CNN, Inside Edition. Uh, in her spare time, I guess she's writing books. She's written Red Flags. She's co-written a book called Reading People. And her most current book, Why Bad Looks Good. And when she's not in the courtroom and not writing books, she may be performing in the symphony as a violinist. And if she's not in the symphony, she could be playing in her rock band. What a, you're like a Renaissance woman, Wendy, and we're so glad to welcome you to the Influencers Podcast. Oh, Scott, it's an absolute pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. And, and praise God in terms of how I get all that accomplished and uh, still manage to have a family. <laughs> so you're, okay, who's in your family? What, what, what's your life made up of? I live with my mother and sister yeah. and, um, you know, two, two very, very godly women are role models in my life. But I do have to say that, you know, we joked before the show about taking a Sabbath it's only through rest and reconnecting with the Lord that I'm able to do anything at all. In fact, part of the advice I often give to my secular friends and part of the impetus for writing this new book is by taking the time to recharge, reconnect, and really you know, look to the Lord for guidance and mm -hmm. everything, he's able to give back that time. I feel like I can work smarter and faster if I invest the time to spend with the Lord every morning before tackling what often looks like an impossible schedule. So I give that to my, my Christian friends that say, I don't have time to pray. I say, you don't have time not to mm -hmm. pray if you intend to get through that schedule, if it looks anything like mine. So, so how does that work out practically in your day? You, you mentioned you begin in the morning with what kind of practices? Well, you know, 
I am. Um, I get up at an ungodly hour in order to uh, accomplish a lot before I have to to go to work and go go to court as a prosecutor. So sometimes my time of connection with God is not the very first minute second that I open my eyes. I know that for some people that sleep in, that coffee is the first thing they do, that that's their preferred time of prayer. But whatever that time is, and however long I can devote to it, which usually is about an hour or so after I get up. It has to be intentional and it has to be in a specific place, in a specific area for a specific time in order to really pack that punch and just recast the day. It's almost like manna for the day Mm -hmm. and every single morning has to begin at some point with manna for the day. If I have manna for the day, what might look like an absolutely unbelievable schedule that nobody could possibly accomplish will somehow just glide by and will be not only doable, but get this, Scott, enjoyable. Um, The Holy Spirit is over the top. Being able to actually take a day that looks horrendous, a mixture of anxiety and dread looking at the entries on my calendar and make it enjoyable. There is only one person who can do that, and that's the Lord. So you would say that you, with this very hectic schedule and varied things that you're involved in, you enjoy life. Absolutely. And you know, it's one of those things that really drove me to write this book is there are so many things in the Bible, so much wisdom on so many different topics. You know, the other books that you you cite that I that I wrote, it's true, they they did have a lot of different chapters. And I think that, you know, I poured my heart and soul into each of them. But I have never written a book where I was trying to condense the ideas that I had into just 15 chapters, because there is so much scripture on so many different topics that part of the reason I wrote this book is my passion has always been outreach to unbelievers. And I can't tell you how many times I'll be in a conversation with somebody and be, you know, bring up scripture, not in a confrontational way or in an overly evangelistic way, but just to say, you know, did you know that that's in the Bible? And people are so receptive to the idea that the Bible has wisdom in so many areas nobody would think they would find there. Everything from life, love, happiness, godliness to greed, health to to heartbreak, and everything in between that I really tried to, to choose my chapter titles in a provocative fashion designed to appeal not just to the believer, but to those who haven't yet mm. considered uh, giving their life to Jesus. So it, it's just amazing that in the process, in finding and in condensing the right scripture passages to use, I'm just continually reminded how good life can be if we read those those scripture passages ourselves too. So, so the name of the book is Why Bad Looks Good, and you've sort of hinted about what you'd like people to take away, but why would someone read that book? What's, what are you looking for them to take away? Because all of us make bad choices. There is not anybody listening or or watching that hasn't made a bad choice. Um, Present company included, as far as I go. I mean, there's, there's no way we live with emotions that sometimes get the better of us. That in every circumstance, we have the wherewithal to stop and think. Especially in, you know, I have a great chapter about, you know, when lust looked like love. 
Um, there are so many different ways in which relational challenges are often based on emotion rather than logic. Um, shopping challenges are also based on the same thing, but in so many different areas, very tricky areas, very important areas, we often don't take the time to separate danger from desire. And what really led me to want to write the book is it's often bad looking good. This is, by the way, the chapter, uh, the title of a Psychology Today column I've been writing for about 10 years, Why Bad mm -hmm. Looks Good. And I have about, you know, close to 700 articles I've, I've published there in almost a decade. And all of them have the same phenomena is we all fall prey to circumstances, to people, to ideas that are not good for us, but sure look good if we just look at them on the surface. I often say that the book tackles one of the biggest challenges that we encounter, we as a society, the lure of the world. So it's almost a way to use the word, the wisdom of the word to counteract the lure of the world. So how do we decide this, the world, the culture that we live in has uh, purported wisdom and then you are rooting in scriptures, ancient wisdom. How do we decide, how do we find that wisdom? And how do we decide to walk in that wisdom? Well, two very good questions. We find it in the Bible. So you don't find it in the self-help section of the bookstore. I always go through there to see what's there and to see how close anything gets to some faith-based solution. Mm -hmm. And then it's amazing. The best-selling book in the world is the Bible. What does that tell you? And the fact that in that book is the best advice on every single topic. So what I tell people regarding why they should get out of the self-help, I mean, maybe they're looking for diet and exercise. Great, you get, can get that in the self-help section. But when it comes to the very important life choices, go on to the theological section and pick up the Bible. The chapter one in my book is called The Deception of Public Perception. And public perception, number one, is that you're going to find something in the self-help aisle that's going to help you with the deep questions in your life. You won't. You may find Band-Aid type ideas to make you feel good temporarily, but why not just look for a permanent solution? And I wrote this book geared towards the, the regular person looking for practical, solutions, not something that's difficult, something that's easy. So the chapters cover, I hope people just look at the table of contents in terms of, you know, in terms of it being really clickbait. Who wouldn't want to learn what's in some of these chapters? So in chapter number two is called When Bad is Beautiful, uh, judging a book by its cover or, or more likely misjudging a book by its cover. Chapter three is dressed for deception, wolves in sharp clothing. I mean, this goes on and on. As a lawyer, I particularly love what I call chapter four, when bad sounds good, mm -hmm. the seduction of a silver tongue. So there's, there's something for everyone in terms of all the different ways in which people might sound good, look good, appeal to us in a fashion that they make us feel good. You know, this is like choosing your the right kind of high. Mm -hmm. You know, we like to surround ourselves with people that make us feel good about ourselves. But in order to do that, we have to make sure that they are as good as they look. Most people we meet are good, do authentically care about us, like us, but not everybody. If everybody did, I'd be out of a job. And Scott, I've been a busy prosecutor <laughs> for almost 30 years because of that percentage that drove me to write this book. So as a prosecutor, you you have to decide to judge people, to, to, to figure them out. 
it, you have the objective word, the scriptures, what we've talked about. Is there, a, is there an internal intuition that we have as well? Or how do we figure people out when you're talking to them? Well, a lot of different ways. You know, my book, Reading People, that I co-wrote with one of the world-renowned jury consultants, um, she, you know, is one of those people that really taught me a lot about reading people in picking juries, which I do now as a consultant. Um, you know, there's a lot to look at in terms of how somebody looks, how they dress, the circumstance, the language, the colloquialisms, the emotions they show. Um, but my last book before uh, Why Bad Looks Good was called Red Flags. And it took a deeper dive about you can't just look and listen. But FLAG stands for Focus Lifestyle Association and Goals. In other words, looking below the surface, taking the time to ask the important questions about what drives somebody else? What do they focus on? What's important to them? Um, Red Flags After Five is uh, one of the chapters there in terms of if you only know what somebody does for a living and you don't know what they do when they're not at work, you are missing out on some of the best clues that could tell you what they're really about. Um, goals is another one. You know, knowing what somebody prays for at night, mm -hmm. if you knew that, or if somebody is not a person of faith, what they what they wish for when they toss a coin into a wishing well, if people still do that, you would learn so much if you learn what's important to other people. So this book kind of draws on the foundation built by the others in terms of once you've looked, once you've listened, once you've asked the right questions to, to dig a little deeper and learn a little bit more about what's important to somebody else, now go to the world's best seller and try to figure out whether there is fruit in their life. People can talk about their philanthropy all day long. And I've got, uh, you know, chapters on that. I talk about bittersweet nothings, hearing what you want to hear, the halo of hypocrisy. But you have to watch what they do and what legacy they are leaving for those that are watching them. And that's another thing, you know, Scott, you probably know this uh, and, and your staff definitely knows this as well. People watch us when we don't realize we're being watched. And that's one of the reasons we have to make extra sure when we say we're Christians, we demonstrate who we are by the way we behave. And when you look at somebody um, and you're talking about looking beyond the surface, what are you looking for to look beyond the surface? And what do you encourage people to look for beyond the surface? You know, beyond the surface, you want to know whether somebody is self-focused or other focused. Mm -hmm. That covers a lot of ground yeah. in terms of, you know, um, a lot of other character traits. One thing personally that I've noticed over the years is some people make you feel relaxed and comfortable. Some people make you feel on edge and like you're walking on eggshells. That's about the way they behave towards you. And oftentimes people that are very spiritually discerned, and I know that that's not my spiritual gift. I have many friends that have that gift. Um, but for the rest of us, we are able to pick up on negative and positive energy. People don't even need to know the Lord to be able to pick up mm -hmm. on this because God created us. Mm -hmm. to be able to respond to the way others treat us because we're designed to live in community. So sometimes you notice this when you first meet somebody. They either kind of put you on edge, you feel a little bit uncomfortable. There is no reason to get into a relationship or pursue a relationship with somebody that makes you anxious. You know what that is? That is your spirit warning you. There mm -hmm. is something yeah. here 
that is not comfortable. And then on the other hand, you know, think about the people that you like the most and that puts you most at ease. Um, I raved about the opening prayer we had today because, you know, our speaker made me feel good. There are some people that make others feel good because Jesus works through them. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons that we can really tell whether somebody is both talking the talk and walking the walk is the Holy Spirit lives through them. Mm -hmm. And that is a best type of person to surround yourself with. You know, I grew up in a family where my parents would say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I think we can say the same thing today, but in both a bad way and also in a good way. Now, the culture that we're living in and, and just the topic you're zeroing in on, bad looking good, do you think that as an increasing challenge in the culture and the world? Um, so it just in my lifetime, things that culture used to say, okay, it's good for a couple to stay together. And that seems to have been redefined. It seems that goodness is being redefined by our culture. Well, absolutely. Not only goodness, but morality, Mm -hmm. um, appropriate behavior, uh, and everything that goes along with some of the basic principles of life, of family, of marriage, um, really look different today. And that's one of the reasons why the chapters began, some of them the way they do regarding, you know, social media influencers are not the ones that should be defining morality, defining decency, defining uh, what good even means. You mm-hmm. know, good people don't go to heaven, saved, imperfect people go to heaven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, redefining those terms, it, it, we just get pointed right back to scripture that's so simple mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, nobody can be good. That's why we need the blood of Jesus to cover us because we can't get through a whole day. You know, there was a, a great slogan I used to have on my wall growing up and the gist of it was something about, you know, so far today, I have not snapped at anyone. I have not been angry. I have not lashed out. I have not spoken unkindly, but Lord help me because I'm ready to get out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> and that really defines our day as we can maybe make it for an hour. But most of us are challenged if we live in community and don't live like hermits We're challenged by difficult personalities that we are forced to interact with within our own family, at our jobs, out in public. And we really need more than simply a societal definition of good. Mm -hmm. We need a biblical definition of how we can consistently focus on being an ambassador of God to make sure we keep trying throughout the day to be kind, to be compassionate, and to make other people feel the way we want to feel cared for, affirmed, validated, and comfortable. That's what it's about. I've been thinking about the just the opening story, just while you're talking of the Bible, where there is this tree in the garden, and it's the knowledge of good and evil. And the humanity knew, okay, it's good to stay away from that tree. They already knew that. And it's evil to go to that tree. But what happened was they redefined goodness and they redefined evil. They said, okay, it is good for us to take this fruit that we've been forbidden to take. And they redefined, which seems to be the essence uh, of the the book that you're talking about. Like one of the chapters you said, when bad looks beautiful, it's like the redefinition that is going on. And what it did was ultimately separate them from the tree of life. 
that God wants to restore us to. But that's what happens when people redefine bad because it looks so beautiful. Or you talked about um, when uh, lust looks like love. It's like a redefinition that we need to get um, just back in touch with the the one who brings us to life and to, to real truth. And I, I think Jesus said it when he said clearly, I, I am the truth. I'm, I'm the truth. You want to sort things out, sort them out through, uh, through me. Um, one of the things you talk about, and you, you've uh, alluded to it, that sometimes when relationships that people have are rooted in feelings, um, that they can open us up to be vulnerable to dangerous and toxic people. And maybe you've seen that in the courtroom or in your other activities. But how does that play out as people are, I guess they misjudge people. And that is a terrible thing. You know, um, much of the impetus for this book came from working with victims um, yep. over almost 30 years. And, uh, you know, that's actually what drove me to want to go out and get a PhD is to learn more about, you know, how we can learn through victimology, through bad choices, through why worldly, intelligent, cultured, knowledgeable victims, both men and women, choose such inappropriate partners and then stay with them even when red flags are flying. You know, it's one thing to say in the anticipation stage of a relationship, you know, we all trade in our, our reading glasses for rose-colored glasses, but to keep those on in light of red flags to explain and rationalize and justify mm -hmm. things that are absolutely unjustifiable, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot there that comes with allowing somebody that you know isn't good for you to remain in your life because it's not just hurting you. It's hurting the people around you. It's hurting your family members, many of whom have no doubt warned you at the beginning. This is somebody that doesn't seem right for you. You know, there's documentaries, mm -hmm. so many uh, stories that have been made about people that uh, ingratiated their way into families that, you know, really won over, not just a victim, but sometimes even family members. And you're right in that it's all about exploiting vulnerability. A social predator, that's somebody that's not a sexual predator, but is going to manipulate a victim for other reasons, is able to do the same thing sexual predators do. Ask the right questions, learn about the areas of vulnerability, and then be able to know where to strike. Some victims are vulnerable because they're afraid they're not pretty enough, smart enough worldly enough. They don't think their job is good enough. Um, some of the men don't think they're strong enough, um, intelligent enough, powerful enough, whatever it is, it's just an opening. It's a crack in the armor that a predator, social, sexual, or otherwise mm -hmm. is able to exploit. So for example, I have a chapter about the, you know, when bad feels good, mm -hmm. the seduction of sensuality. There are just some ideas, some people that are presented in such a way that it just seems like such a great idea, you know, the sensual pleasures of life. Um, there's another chapter that deals with the infatuation with instant gratification. I would say, Scott, that is more a problem today than it was when you and I were growing up because we didn't have as many options right. for instant gratification. Right. I mean, I remember TV dinners and all the rest of that, but we didn't have the option of you want something, you go on Amazon, you buy it, it's yours. Before you're almost done ordering, your doorbell's ringing. Mm -hmm. I mean, we never had the options of getting everything now. But we did, even back then, have the focus on self. You know, you asked a brilliant question earlier about what's one of the easiest ways to tell bad people from good people. And the answer was about self-focused versus other-focused. A self-focused persona 
wants everything now and follows up with that. The, the ability to engage in delayed gratification as a spiritual discipline. There is nothing necessarily magic about becoming a Christian. I mean, if I get a food craving, I want it now too. And yes, I know about DoorDash and Instacart, and there's nothing that necessarily says that our appetites are different, but we know that we have to exercise moderation because that's a spiritual discipline. It's what helps us become more godly people. So we've got to work at it. And that is one of the, the I, I would say that segues into another one of my favorite chapters, the allure of idolatry. You know, there are so many ways in which chasing idols, I don't mean wooden carved images, I mean wealth, um, the, the social media influence, the wanting the best of everything, wanting the most expensive car, the best clothes, the, the most expensive makeup and hair and all the different things that don't bring anybody happiness. Chasing after those things make the allure of idolatry one of the most dangerous and time-consuming pursuits to take away from the precious time we have to pursue what true happiness really looks like, which is most often in relationship, which guess what? As you know, Scott, doesn't cost a dime. You know, true happiness, laughter, love, relationships, that is priceless. So you you are writing this book because you have met so many people who have been victimized. And so somebody's listening right now and they are they have been hoodwinked, they've been they don't see the red flags that you are talking about. Just take a moment to give that person some advice that has got caught in a relationship that is toxic and damaging and help to bring them some wisdom some truth that may help to set them free. You know, there's a lot of very practical wisdom um, in the Bible about the uh, about things like anger and other toxic emotions and how those lead to much worse results. Um, and in one, in many of my chapters, I talk about, you know, the scripture about anger. But let me give you one that's a bit counterintuitive that some people don't look at that I've looked at for almost 30 years. Um, it's in a chapter called Ignorance is Bliss when less looks like more. I have met so many, both men and women, that are almost intrigued by people they don't know enough about. It's almost this idea that, well, what I don't know can't hurt me. Yes, it can. And there's often a reason you don't know it. You know, secrets are relational saboteurs and secrets breed mm. suspicion. There is no reason that somebody wouldn't want to share of themselves with you. You should want to know what they do after work, what they do with their children, what they wish for, what they pray for at night, because that tells you who they are. And you can compare it with the rest of the information you know. And when you don't know enough and you're just faced with questionable behavior, you tend to redefine terms. Um, anger looks like passion. Aggressiveness just looks like assertiveness. Mm -hmm. Possessiveness just looks like protectiveness. Instead of seeing those toxic emotions for what they really are, you can excuse them. I call it a lighter shade of red. Mm -hmm. Don't keep the red, don't keep those rose colored glasses on, take no. them off. Look at some of that behavior for what it really is and use your objective friends and family as sounding boards. They want what's best for you. Don't necessarily go to your best friend. Who's going to tell you what you want to hear. Go to the people that really love you that are going to tell you what you need to hear. It's kind of like I tell young people today, 
If you're going shopping for a prom dress, don't take your best friend or rely on the advice of the salesperson. Take your mom. <laughs> She's going to tell you how it really looks on you because she wants you to look good. She wants you to look great when you walk into that room. She wants head to turn, heads to turn for all the right reasons. She wants the same for you when you go on your first job interview, by the way. So you bring her along then too. She's going to be sitting outside a lot of dressing rooms just like my mom was growing up. But those are the kind of very practical pieces of advice that I hope everybody takes. And guess what? You find advice like that in the Bible as well. True friends tell it like it is. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of scripture about what true friends really look like. In fact, so many, Scott, I had a tough time on some of the friendship chapters, even paring it down to a, a, a manageable amount. There is so much the Bible has to tell on how to choose your friends carefully. I, I really hope people pick this book up. I think it'll be um, inspirational and I think it'll be informative. And I think it will help to bring healing, which I feel is the motivation behind what you've written uh why bad looks good uh it's available on the website that'll be in the show notes and i really hope you listen to wendy as she just said this powerful truth that secrets are relational saboteurs that if we would bring things into the light that's the first thing god said into a chaotic word world in genesis it was without form it was dark and god said let there be light the truth, the light helps to set people free. And Wendy, I want to thank you for just taking the time with us today. I want to thank you for your heart to help victims, which comes probably from your prosecutor's chair. You've seen a lot of them. And uh, just keep up the good work. And uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Influencers Podcast. We look for um, interesting people who can give information to our fellow listeners, because we all want everyone to be an influencer. Everyone's on the earth to make a difference. And I hope the words that we've shared today will help people to be a greater influence in their life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. It was a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Influencers Podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. If you enjoy our content, we would love for you to subscribe and have the opportunity to tune in to future podcasts. You can follow us on all social media platforms at the Influencers Podcast Official. You can stay up to date, hear more inspiring content, and unlock your full potential as an influencer. Remember to use your influence to create lasting change that draws the world closer to Jesus.